This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm with my co-host John Damaris and our new guest, Beth Collin from the Best in Foxion podcast. Say hi guys. Hello. Hey everyone. So Colin, Colin oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to say I'm super excited. I say this almost every week, but I'm actually super excited to have Colin on because Colin and I actually chat a little bit uh, through the, the BiffPod Patreon. Um, so having him on the show is kind of a big deal for me. So, so you, say, start... you say it every week, but this time you mean it. That's yeah, that's saying. exactly. Excellent. <laughs> that's exactly right. Excellent. I don't know how the other guests feel about that, but I feel great about it. That's good. That's good. All right. But anyway, this week we're going to talk about Eldar. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so if you want to just start describing your list, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, so um, let me give just uh, an additional 60 seconds. So uh, Psychic Awakening came out at a time where I was deciding what I wanted to play. Um, and I decided to go back to Eldar, which it turns out was a good decision, because as Nick will tell you, based on the frequency of my messages, uh, Eldar is definitely where I enjoy myself the most. So um, I went to a RTT, a four-round RTT, and tried out a version of the list I'm about to talk about. Uh, won that four-round RTT, and then uh, two weeks later went to a GT. I think there was like 40 people or 38 people, um, and managed to take that one down uh, with the same, with a very similar list. So the idea behind the list was I'm going to beat Marines, and I'm going to hope to beat everybody else by outplaying them. That's So when I built the list, I literally didn't plan initially, after reps I did, but initially I didn't plan for... Gene Stiller Cult or Tau, or I just didn't plan for the other things that you might run into at a tournament. So, as a caveat before we go too deep into it, uh, at the time of recording and when this episode airs, Chapter Approved and Blood of Ball will be live and ready to go and all that. Uh, at the time that Colin won these tournaments, none of that existed. Uh, it was just the previous Psychic Awakening, the, psych, the Eldar One Phoenix Rising, and no Chapter Approved stuff. So, this is a tiny bit dated, but sorry for that. Yeah, the, I don't think the fury of uh, ball stuff would have mattered too much, but the uh, the chapter proved, of course, matters a lot. Basically, I guess I don't know what blood are going to look like. Yeah. But anyways, what was the list you took, Colin? Okay, so it starts off with an air wing uh, that has um, always in cover over 12 inches and um, um, expert crafters. Uh, the entire list is expert crafters, which is the free reroll hit, free reroll to wound. Um, in an elite gun line, it is very hard to argue with the power of that, so the whole list has it. Uh, the planes also have always in cover over 12. That's because I wanted to feel better about losing a Layatok. So I give them always in cover, which against Marines who have typically true rerolls, uh, always in cover is actually mathematically better, unless you're playing against Imperial Fist and then you don't get cover at all. Um, and then I gave them the uh, move and shoot without penalty Exarch trait because 
Rerolling ones is fine, but always hitting on twos is mathematically better. Have you have you yeah. considered some of the other XRC traits, like potentially the five up invol? Interesting, you should say that. Every list I wrote post every list I've written past this tournament, including the one I'm taking to a major uh, this weekend, has the five up invol. Okay, uh, interesting. So, cool. so the the deal is that that I hadn't figured is that Marines have a lot of last cannons, many many last cannons, and all of them are AP four. At which point, even if I'm in cover, I only have a six up save. Um, and then I also played Necrons at the GT, which we'll talk about, and they have negative five AP. Also, Thunderhammers hit planes a lot, and that and that's also a six up save. So um, I think the moving to the five up invul makes incredible sense. You hit slightly less often, but the upside of that is that you live longer. And if you live longer, you're going to end up doing more damage. So I've moved to that. Um, I don't value the other XR traits very much, uh, but those those two I quite like. So then I had a battalion that's expert. Actually, the entire rest of the army is expert crafters and masterful shots. Masterful shots is ignoring cover. Uh, so the battalion has a Farseer Skyrunner and a Warlock Skyrunner, and then two units of five Dire Avengers. Um, I didn't have the points to give the uh, the Exarch the extra gun that he can have. I value that. I just didn't have the points. And then they both had Exarch Power Bladestorm, which is extra hits on sixes. Um, I put them in the list because I had room. I was shocked at how much I enjoy extra hits on sixes. So um, that will probably come up as we talk more. And then I have a unit of eight Storm Guardians. I'm kind of known to always have a unit of eight Storm Guardians. Uh, they're the cheapest troop choice. And I love having eight dudes that can stand on an objective that I don't care the, what other value I get from. Uh, so they were in the list. Uh, then the other, that's the battalion. And then I also have a um, Spearhead. And the Spearhead has an Autark uh, who's just standing around on foot, normal Autark, and a Warlock on foot. And then it had a unit of five Swooping Hawks, and it had a unit of ten Dark Reapers. It's nine, and then the Tempest Launcher guy. I did Reign of Death. Um, I'm very undecided on which Exarch power I like for Dark Reapers. Uh, Reign of Death for rerolling the Tempest Launcher seems great. Uh, I'm tempted to just give him a normal, the normal Reaper Launcher and let him have an extra shot each turn. Uh, I think extra range on the entire unit for Dark Reapers is a really big deal. So there's there's lots of things there that I'm, I'm undecided on. And then I have my favorite unit in this list, which is Triple Knight Spinner. Uh, finally, wraps up with two Wave Serpents. The Wave Serpents are... One Wave Serpent has the Autark, the Warlock on foot, and the ten Dark Reapers. The other one has the two units of Dire Avengers uh, in it. So I've got one Wave Serpent that basically um, starts the game by deciding where my castle is going to be. Uh, the Autark's reroll aura is for all three Night Spinners and for the Dark Reapers. So um, the Dark Reapers being in the Wave Serpent means that they get get to get out farther. Um, so they can kind of position themselves well. The Night Spinners can move on the first turn. I hate doing that, though, because they, they, they suffer move and shoot. So you've got the Night Spinners. You've got the Dark Reapers. Everybody's getting reroll ones. All of them are getting expert crafters. I will tell you that when you combine those two things together, it feels like you were hitting 100% of the time. You aren't. But to your opponent, who will be salty about it, and to you who will be playing it, it will feel fundamentally like you're hitting 100% of the time. I presume that off the Dark Reapers, when all of them shot, I'd, I'd miss one time. That's what I presumed, and that was usually right. Well, I mean, uh, that's, that's not too far off base, because if you, for example, uh, uh, Night spinners, 2d6 shots, average of seven, right? 
<clears throat> well, on seven dice, you're going to have one, 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 two. You reroll the two. You reroll the one for the Autark. You reroll the two for your Master Crafters. The three, four, five, and six all hit. And then you have one random other dispersion of a dice, right? Which could be, you know, a lot of times that'll be another hit. So, or it'll be a one. It has to right. be a, literally another two in order for you not to at least have a reroll at a chance at hitting everything, which is insane. Like that. Right, and since the Night Spinners hit on threes, and so do the Dark Reapers, usually the way I say it to my opponent is, I'm going to reroll ones and a two. Right, because that's basically what we're talking about. That's, that's also what I say when I roll to uh, Space Marine Master Artisans. Yeah. Rerolling ones and one two. And then rerolling a wound feels great. Like, I, I, I call it Mini Doom. Uh, I enjoy it very much. Um, and also, those rerolls are new rerolls, not old rerolls. And that's a big deal. So what I mean by that is the the Dark Reaper the Dark Reapers don't care, but like the Night Spinners, if they move and are at minus one to hit, you can reroll a three. Whereas in older reroll rules, you would not be able to. But the Expert Crafters is any hit and any wound. It doesn't care if you've succeeded. Um, on Night Spinners, that means that every once in a while I fish for a six rather than just having a success. So that matters. Um, the general idea behind this list is that it is an incredible amount of high efficiency shooting. Um, and the and if the dark reapers love the whole game, you win. So the list is designed to kill a Marine players in direct fire incredibly quickly. And then basically from there, the dark reapers fire and fade in, in and out of a wall or a box and pick up whatever they can. And at later, late in the game, which if we talk later about my matchups, you guys will hear this later in the game, I actually shut down and I stopped giving up kills because either my stuff is hiding or it's a wave serpent that's impossible to kill driving around the table being reckless or there's nothing and you just don't have anything left to kill. Um, but I'm ahead on points and the dark papers are still picking up kills each turn. So that's the, that's the general idea behind the list. Cool. So it's very much a, a go first list in certain matchups. Would you describe it that way? Um, I thought that was going to be the case. Um, I found it to be very durable against most armies going second. Um, I did go second against two Iron Hands players, and both of them had a fairly efficient gun line. Neither of them were running six planes. So, I mean, it's important to note that. Uh, I don't think that, th that my list would have enjoyed going second against six planes. I think it would have had a bad time with that. Uh, but in general, I went second uh, a lot in the, at the, in the games I played with this list, and it was okay but the alternative of that is that and there's a bunch of matchups where if it goes first it just wins because it's just there's so much offensive power that you can't stop yeah um, it seems like you have the ability to go second and still win the game and that's really more important than just winning on turn one obviously winning on turn one is great you know i have first turn i killed you easy game right but the having that durability or that mobility whatever it is to survive even if you go second is where a lot of gun lines fail and that's one of the things i like about your list yeah for sure uh really what it comes down to on uh if they go first is can they kill the wave serpent and the dark reapers in a lot of matchups and almost nobody can uh there are marine armies that can totally do that but in general the vast majority of 40k can't kill a wave serpent and the dark reapers inside in one round of shooting well and i mean if you identify that right and we'll talk about this more in matchups but that's going to be the wave serpent that you hide from at least a portion of his army. Right? Yes. So yeah, exactly. The problem so, is that wave serpents are notoriously hard to, to hide. In fact, all of this list is hard to hide, which I actually found fairly frustrating because the planes are huge. Right. And then the night spinners and the wave serpents, both hovering doesn't do them any favors. And then they have weird things poking off of them. 
So I don't feel like I ever was like, oh yeah, you can't shoot that vehicle. That never happened. But yeah, it's still, I still try. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. So I want to talk about the wave serpents for a second. I think they're a pretty important inclusion in the list. Number one, to shelter the dark reapers on turn one to make sure they don't get obliterated. Um, Cause I suppose you can use psychic powers in order to like, if you, you're going to fire and fade them, but if you're not able to, to protect them, at least you can get fortune on them, get plus protect on them, you know, give them a little bit of a fighting chance, um, fire and fade them out of, out of line of sight. Uh, but the wave serpent allows number one, turn one. You obviously can't do that if you don't go first. Uh, number two, it reduces your drops quite a bit, which allows you to get that plus one to go first in a lot of games, I would imagine. Yeah, so um, the Dark Reapers sometimes did get out of the Wave Serpent, even if I knew I couldn't kill all of their indirect fire, um, because I would put, um, I use Conceal in this list a lot, so I make the minus one to be shot. Like you said, I protect them, and I also fortune them. Uh, with Seer Council, this list is pretty efficient with its psychic powers. And then I would also LFR them when they get shot at if I felt like I needed to. At that point, they're minus two to be hit. They're a one-up save and cover, and they have a five-up feel no pain. If I lose a couple Dark Reapers, that's fine. And uh, so, lightning fast reflexes, right? Yeah, sorry. Lightning, exactly, lightning fast reflexes. Uh, I don't like spending the LFR, the lightning fast reflexes, because it's two CP, and this list is incredibly short on CP. Um, because you're going to be fire and fading four or, uh, four or so turns, that's four CP right there out of the ten. Uh, so the wave serpents, wave serpents are actually one of my favorite things in the whole game. They're like one of the only vehicles that people just don't want to shoot at. Not only are they mathematically hard to kill, but people feel bad about trying to kill them. So I've been playing with wave serpents for a really long time and people don't shoot at them. They just don't. They'll shoot las cannons into things that have no business taking a las cannon hit instead of shooting a wave serpent because wave serpents are, are known to be annoying. Now, you know, fun fact, Last Cannons are really good at killing Wave Serpents. But people don't seem to know that. So the Wave Serpents would drop off, the first Wave Serpent would drop off the Dark Reapers and then go on an adventure. And when I say go on an adventure, uh, this list doesn't hold objectives out in the field particularly well. Wave Serpents hold objectives. And they're not OPSEC or anything, but they can just, they're fast, and they can just fly over and sit on an objective. If they're on cover, they've got a good armor save, they're minus one damage. Mine aren't a lay attack, right? So they're not minus one to hit, but they're still really durable. Um, the other one runs out and then dumps the, the Dire Avengers out, and the Dire Avengers were shockingly effective, uh, just running around and killing people off objectives and getting extra hits and, you know, uh, just harassing and also hiding because they don't have to stand out and kill everybody. They just have to kill the one thing they're trying to fight. Um, I charge things with Wave Serpents all the time to make them either fall back or take away their shooting phase. Um, I love the fact that you can discharge their shield. I love that. Um, to do a smite, basically, on a two-up, they can uh, get rid of their serpent shield to do D3 mortals. Um, I use that all the time. Things about that, which a lot of players kind of overlook, is that it's not actually a shooting attack at all, so it kind of skips most of the rules in the game. Uh, it can target it targets the closest visible thing, but if that's a character, even though if something is closer, like let's say the character is far away, but in line of sight, and there's like five scouts blocking at a line of sight closer to the wave serpent, it'll just hit that character. Um, also, you don't have to do it when you shoot the serpent. Like you can have the serpent shoot, kill five scouts or kill four out of five scouts, then finish off that fifth scout with something and then go back to that serpent, launch its serpent shield and hit something much more valuable with your, 
essentially a smite. So there's a lot of play to the Serpent Shield as well. Yeah, I actually, I had that exact thing happen, Nick, where I was playing against the second Iron Hands guy I played at the GT, and he had two planes, and the planes are like super high priority for me. And I, the Dark Reapers killed one. The planes and the Night Spinners were killing all of his indirect fire, so they weren't able to help kill the second plane. I killed the second plane with all of my small arms fire, and I got it down to one. So, like, the Wave Serpent shot it, and, and the Dire Avenger shot it, and just everything shot it, and a smite went into it. And I got it down to one, and it's like, oh, well, I don't care if these Wave Serpents live. That's not as important as this plane dying. So the Wave Serpent, and, like, also, he's going to shoot my planes. He's going to shoot my night spinners. He doesn't want to shoot the wave serpents. So I, I ended up, uh, because of Film of Pains, I ended up actually putting both of the, the shields into that plane and killing it. And it, that's game-changing because he's Iron Hands. Like, he can fly that plane away and heal it. Like, he has all types of options from there. Yeah. And you knew you did that pre or reactively. The reaction yes. Area. At the end of the shooting phase, I did that. Yes. I shot everything in my army, and I'm like, oh, I've got nothing left. Or do I, basically? You ever use the one-point stratagem to fire it again? Uh, in other lists, I've used it a lot because it's great. Because one command point for D3 Mortals is a really good value in a lot of lists. In this list, you don't have the CP. This, I, I can't emphasize enough that this list desperately wants to be double battalion and can't make that work. <laughs> so you're LFRing, you're lightning fast reflexing at least once, maybe twice, you're fire and fading four or five times, and the rest of your command points go to Seer Council. Um, I think Seer Council is the most important Eldar strat. Uh, a lot of Eldar players don't use it. Um, I always have a Warlock with my Farseer so I can use it. The math on the plus one to cast. So Seer Council makes both the Warlock and the Farseer plus one to cast. The math on plus one to cast on all of these seven cast powers is enormous. Um, I used to have it memorized. I don't know what it is now. Maybe Nick knows it, but it's, it's, it's an enormous improvement especially when you factor in the Farseer's reroll. Um, and Doom and Protect, most importantly, need to go out every turn. You want to pass Doom and Protect every turn. Or Jinx, if the Dark Reapers don't need Protect. So what uh, Psychic Powers do you just generally take? Is there like a go-to set for you? Yeah, so the, the Farseer has uh, Doom and uh, Fortune. The question I always get about that is why no Guide and no Executioner? Uh, Executioner is one of the best powers in the game. It's not better than Fortune and Doom in my mind. Uh, Fortune keeps the Dark Reapers alive early. Uh, and then I have Fortune Vehicles. Because it's often, if you people say, oh, well, let's shoot a different vehicle. If you pay really close attention to the game state, it is very easy to predict what your opponent's going to shoot vehicle-wise. And I'll put fortune on that vehicle because a five-up field no pain is a really big deal on a vehicle. Um, yes. I think a lot of people don't even consider that because they always assume fortune on spears or something like that. But fortuning on a wave serpent brings it to the next level of durability. Yeah. Also, if there's an injured Crimson Hunter, let's say a Crimson Hunter with like seven wounds left and a full 12-wound Crimson Hunter, and you actually fortune that seven-wounder, well, it's like your opponent has a miserable time shooting either now. He, doesn't right. want, he wants to finish off the tank, but it's just harder to shoot at than the other tank. Because um, there's already there's no incentive to shoot the twelve wounder over the seven wounder. So even though you get more value out of fortuning the twelve wounder, your opponent just now has very obvious target priority, and you're not punishing him at all for making the obvious choice. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's probably better off to fortune the weaker one there. I just wanted to talk about the fortune tactics. Yeah, for sure. And I actually fortune wave serpents and send them on the, an adventure that I affectionately call wave serpent bumper cars. Um. I'm a big fan of charging with my wave serpent like every turn because 
Uh, I, what that does to most armies is it says your shooting phase for this unit will be on sixes or maybe fives, depending on the army, and into this wave serpent. And then you're not going to shoot me. Um, and if they're fly, it's not as great, but uh, there's a lot of stuff in this game that still doesn't want to be charged by, by um, wave serpent. In particular, the Iron Hands match, or sorry, the Imperial Fist matchup is hard for this list. Um, using the wave serpents to charge their anti-vehicle shooting actually works really well. So just when you that. say the shooting that this unit will do on sixes or maybe fives, you mean instead of that unit shooting the old-fashioned way, you're forcing it to overwatch the wave serpent, but it's going to be in combat with the wave serpent, and then consequently when it falls back or stays in combat, either one, it just can't shoot. Is that correct? Exactly right. Um, and and when you're doing things like that, also remember that the wave serpent's so big that three inches of pylon is huge. So what I some of the things I've done is I'll charge a dude like a scout squad. And then I'll pile into a dreadnought that does no that has given up its close combat weapon in order to shoot things. So um, fortune's really big. Uh, I don't have guide. The only thing guide would do in this list is it would go on the dark reapers. Let me tell you again that rerolling ones and a two is basically like guide. Like you would get the guide would be a very low value. So do you think that given the way your list kind of operates though where it's uh you have your explosive firepower from your dark reapers and your crimson hunter x-rex while they're alive and then you need to transition to more denial type of things and the fire and fading reapers that are super hard to kill and night spinners who are way in the back out of line of sight and wave serpent bumper cars and screens do you think a second farce here would be really good value just to get you access to if nothing else execution or smite i mean that's yeah i think so. mortal wounds a turn i think so too I do think so. Um, I'm actually beginning to put double Farseer into lists. Um, part, and the other reason why is the new the new Psychic Awakening powers are all really cool, but they replace Smite. And what I'm finding in my list is that I miss having Smite. Like I like I want Smite and don't have it anymore. Um, so that's, that's also a thing. Uh, Executioner is also, for those that don't know, Executioner has no line of sight requirement. Yeah, so it's very it's, hard to protect against Executioner. Cause yeah. It's amazing. Um, it so, also does a lot of damage. <laughs> like, it, oh yeah, yeah. A so lot. You, might sound not that great. It is that great. <laughs> it's really good. Um, so, uh, and then the other powers I take are um, protect and jinx on the warlock on the warlock. Uh, um, uh, what's it called? The warlock skyrunner. Hold on a second. Sorry. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. My computer freaked out. Um, okay, so uh, the Warlock uh, Skyrunner will have Protect Jinx, and then the other Warlock on foot has Conceal Reveal. I want him to be on a jetpack as well because I don't like Warlocks on foot, but sometimes you just don't have the points. Of course, they all got cheaper and late, um, and they all get cheaper and chapter approved. Uh, so Conceal Reveal, uh, I, my list does not need Quicken. Uh, my list does not need um, plus one to wound in combat. Like the rest of the warlock powers are not that important to this list, but minus one to be hit on the reapers is great. Now here's the other thing that I do with that warlock. I give instead of smite, I give him the free reroll power. The free reroll power is uh, warp charge four, and you get to reroll a hit, a wound, or a save any time in the battle round. So if I don't need to be minus one to hit, because there's a part in the game, it's usually at the end of two, where the Dark Reapers are never in danger ever again, as long as I screen well. So as long as the Dark Reaper, as I screen and keep close combat away from them, they're never going to die, so I don't need to make the minus one to hit. It's infantry only. Fire and fading through terrain. Yeah, exactly. So 
I never need, and it's only infantry. You can't make like you can't make like a crimson hunter an additional minus one to be hit because that'd be broken. <laughs> so at that point, he, he he transitions to a reroll guy. Now the reroll can go out on any model. So I give it to the dark reapers, and now I now I get to reroll another two, or I have another wound reroll. Um, alternatively, I've given it to the night spinners before. And be, if the Dark Reapers aren't going to be a value, because the Night Spinners also like to reroll an additional hit or an additional wound. Yeah, and I think one of the things your list does really well that most armies don't is that when they run gun lines, because uh, that's essentially what your army is, it's a mobile gun line, they uh, don't have adequate indirect fire. So what happens is like people can just hide from you and outscore you because obviously you have nothing to push forward and, and go take the board from them. They're assault army hiding in the middle of the table. And you can't see them, so that sucks. Now, people, it's less of a common thing now. Indirect fire is, is abundant in Space Marines. But a lot of armies like Tau with, like, SMS is only so strong, um, or other armies struggle to have strong indirect fire to deal with that. And where your triple night spinners come in is really strong right there because they can just put in the work and punish an army for just sitting there and hiding all day. Right. The, the SMS is particularly ineffective because since they can't see the, the, from the Tau, the smart missile system, because since they can't see me, they can't put fire uh, marker lights on me, which means, you know, like if I've got conceal on me and I also lightning fast reflexes, now they're hitting on sixes. And if they move, they can't hit me. So it's uh, that makes the Dark Reapers just not even be shot by Tau. So Nick, but Nick, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of armies that don't even have indirect fire. Um, and the ones that do, I just have to kill the indirect fire. So, uh, yeah, the idea here is I can't, so there's a lot of elder lists that people are making right now that are just guns. They don't, they don't do any nuance. They don't have dark reapers. They don't care about your indirect fire. They put their castle down on the board and they shoot you. And I think that the elder shooting is efficient enough that that's absolutely a viable plan. For me, I don't like going second against um, efficient gun lines and feeling like I can't outshoot them at that point. So the Dark Reapers with Fire and Fade is like a little trick that I that I have that makes kind of balances that. Because at some point they can't kill the Dark Reapers and I get to catch up on the killing that they did by going first. So I don't remember your entire list off the top of my head. Uh, maybe you said it earlier and I just wasn't. Don't remember, um, but typically gun lines like this really appreciate flying screens, which you have in abundance. The wave serpents function as one, the crimson hunters function as one, and the night spinners in a pinch can function as one. But have you considered like hawks or anything like that to additionally support that? Maybe a flying screen that's not so committal as an entire wave serpent if it's going to end up dying immediately. So there is a unit of five swooping hawks on the list, no, I um, and because I love swooping hawks. Uh, but what I found is. That I have so much anti-chart, anti—I have so much screen that the swooping hawks were an engineer almost every game. Really? You know, uh, why not just make out rangers engineers or storm guardians or something like that? Well, I don't have rangers, so um, I have two units of dire oh, avengers I, and a unit so of storm guardians. I'm dire avengers instead of. Uh, yeah. Well, the dire avengers are going to start on the table and go on an adventure. Uh, the swooping hawks and the storm. So. I, and I think you've talked about this on previous episodes. Um, a very underutilized strat strategy is to make your engineer something that doesn't have to start on the table. And swooping hawks don't have to start on the table. In this list, I'm already going to kill all their indirect fire. And there's no, I have yet to play against a list that had indirect fire left after turn two. So I'm going to kill all the indirect fire. And after the, all the indirect fire is dead, the swooping hawks can land in, in, behind a wall on an objective and they can engineer for turns three, four, five, six. 
they get four victory points. 65, 68 points for that unit to get me four victory points is incredible value. Um, I also like the Hawks for coming down and trying to clear an objective. I do the um, Exarch Power where on a plus one, they're plus one for their grenades. So they're grenading on fives. With a, with a harder charge one, the Overwatch one? I don't, yeah, I don't have the harder charge one because I because I well, let me answer that in a second. So the grenade packs, um, doing mortals on fives as you come in and then shooting them twenty times, I've found kills almost every five men. And math, maybe mathematically it doesn't, but remember I'm ignoring cover. Do you mean five man like five man scout squad or yeah, anything that's standing on an objective? Five cabalite warriors, five fire warriors, five. Uh, they don't probably kill five intercessors. They definitely but, don't kill five intercessors. <laughs> but you know, no, but if they roll hot on mortals, they'll get a, they'll be off to a great start. So um, I really value the anti charge um, exert trait on Sipping Hawks. Um, in my experience, close combat armies have no game against this list. Uh, the wave serpents in the planes, basically doing the hokey pokey in front of my army, means that deep strike close combat is never going to land near enough to me to get anything done. I don't care at all if the wave serpents die. If you want to spend a, a a close combat deep strike unit to kill a wave serpent, I'm going to kill that unit because there's nothing for you to hug. Yeah. So I don't use the swooping hawks as a screen. I thought I was going to. The list originally had three units of them. Interesting. Uh, you just have that much screen that you just you're able to cut them and it's fine. Well, I didn't. Now that I think about it, I haven't played Gene Steeler Cult with this list, um, but I do know Gene Steeler Cult really well, so I can kind of imagine how that would work. They're just. I uh, I didn't play orcs. So I'm just trying to think through the list that that you need a lot of flying screen for, but also wave serpent screens against orcs is amazing. Like orcs hate charging wave serpents; they're not fans of that at all. That's interesting. So, one of the things I wanted to ask you about—I I don't know if we're at a natural breaking point here or not—but the Crimson Hunter Exarchs, how are you finding them in the new Space Brain meta? Because I've always felt like those Eldar planes were a little bit um, fragile and went down really fast, but. Well, have you heard the phrase distraction carnifex? I have, because, yes. Because uh, as Nick and I have talked about a lot, the, a big purpose of the list is that you shoot the Crimson Hunters first. And we were talking to our friend the other day, and he said, man, it pisses me off that I know you want me to shoot the planes first, and I'm still going to shoot them first. So um, that's, a, that's a big part of the list. They're minus one to be hit, which makes them instantly the most durable thing in my army. Not really, Wave Serpents are. Um, but nobody's shooting wave serpents. It, the wave serpents do not get shot till all the night spinners and all of the planes are dead. Uh, so what I don't want is the night spinners to be shot. And it's not just that I, I, the night spinners will get to live forever then. It's that while the night spinners are not getting shot, I'm eliminating your anti-tank. So after I've killed your indirect fire, I'm now going to systematically kill anything that kills vehicles because I have eight of them. It, it sounds like it's very similar to the way like Brian and Richard uh, previously on Outer War have described how they play Tau. It's like, let's say the guy has a bunch of Azkans or something that kills Riptides, but doesn't kill drones horribly effectively or vice versa. You pick the thing he can't kill or he's good at killing and kill it. So like then he can't kill the other. Meaning like, while if you remove all of his anti-tank quickly enough, then it doesn't matter that all three Crimson Hunters died. He just can't kill tanks the rest of the game. Right. In the matchup against Guard, he had like, I don't know, 80 Guardsmen and Bulgren. And I ignored the Bulgren and the Guardsmen forever because I just killed all of his tanks and all of his indirect fire because I knew that uh, that means he gets to win the board control game early. But I also knew that I can pick all those Guardsmen up quickly when all of my vehicles are immune, are, are basically immortal, right? 
So I, I think that uh, people that play gun lines need to spend, in general, my experience is people need to spend more time thinking about target priority. It's not about how fast you can kill a thing. It's about can you kill the specific things that threaten you while also mitigating your risk from the other things. Like you need to be able to block, like I had to block the Bulgren from getting to me. I fed them dire Avengers, right? Like you have to have a plan for dealing with something that's scary, but you don't have to kill that thing right away. And I think assault centurions in the current meta and Nick, I'd be curious what you think of this, but in my mind, assault centurions are a thing that is just as important to figure out how you're going to get in the way of them as killed right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think every list in the game that's trying to win a GT at this point needs to have a legitimate answer for assault centurions. And that answer doesn't have to be, I kill them. I think a lot of people in general on any army get caught up in the threat that my only solution to this problem is, can I kill it? And if they can't kill it because their army doesn't have the tools, then... They're like, my army can't beat army the other army. Like, my army X can't beat army Y because I can't kill unit A. So, right. you know, mitigating units, as you just said, like, is a lot, is just another way of killing it. Like, if it's not as, quite as good as killing it because killing it's dead, but if it's functionally useless, who cares if it's alive? Yeah, I mean, you don't care if they charge into your unit of dire Avengers and, and kill them. You're like, okay, good job. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. Right. Congratulations. You've killed, you've killed a 55 point infantry unit. Congrats. Um, the other thing about this um, list is if you have a meta with a lot of assault centurions, you should consider playing an elder gun line. Uh, assault centurions are really terrible. Again, I've played not only this list, but several versions of this list. And I have like seven uh, reps into centurions and they just do not have the survivability required for this type of shooting. Um, keep in mind, though, that if you think about the list, I'm skewed against them, right? I don't want to play against 200 GSC bodies. I'm not saying I'll lose, but my army is absolutely meta, a meta choice to skew towards elite stuff. But, like, the Dark Reapers and the Planes and even the Night Spinners are all fantastic at killing Assault Centurions. Would you say that your army, I mean, you kind of are saying your army is a byproduct of the meta, but do you think if the meta were to shift uh, to, you know, right now we're seeing pretty much zero tiered success aside from like Alex in Canada somehow. Um, how do you think if we saw a more horde-based meta, and I'm not talking like just pure horde like we used to have with 200 cultists for 200 orcs. I'm talking just like it's an army you're potentially feasible to see against that GT. Do you think your list would still be as successful as it is? I think that my list does benefit from the meta being so elite heavy. Um, and uh, I, what I don't know is how terrible 60 plague bearers of smite behind them is. Like, I think as you talk about meta, about um, horde lists, most of them aren't very good anymore. Um, I'm not personally afraid of gene stealer cult right now. Uh, part of that is that as you know, Nick, we both we both played a lot of Gene Stealer Cult, so that changes that that matchup some. Uh, if you know their tricks, they're a lot easier to deal with. Um, I'm not particularly worried about orcs. Uh, I don't feel like orcs are really a big threat to the top of the meta right now. But I'll tell you that if the Vessel or TJ Lanigan style chaos lists were still popular, where you have 60 Plague Bears with a bunch of stuff behind them, I haven't done the testing to see how that goes. I will tell you that Dark Reapers are great against Plague Bears, but that's my only real tool to kill plague bearers quickly, and I can't double shoot them like I used to be able to do in the in the Unari days. Yeah, so, we'll cover matchups a lot more in depth in part two, and I'll kind of help okay. walk you through how how the chaos or whatever player will play it, so you can kind of theorize it a little bit. 
Okay. But uh, do you think hordes in general are fine? And I guess you, you kind of said you're not too concerned about Gene Steeler cults or orcs, but is it just a matter of like no one good is playing them at the moment? Or And by that I mean like they're just not seeing top player results? Or is it just like if 200 bodies showed up on table, do you think you have the tools to deal with it? I think that the list does have the tools. There's a sneaky amount of shooting hidden in it, hidden in the list. But the really thing that comes across when you play the list is how efficiently it shoots. Um, you know, everybody has rerolls. So the wave serpents have them. The dire Avengers have them. Um, everybody has them. Uh, the swooping hawks have them, even though one reroll on 20 dice is not that exciting. Uh, so I found that, um, like in the, when I played against guard, I found that it took me two turns to kill every guardsman on the table. It just wasn't, it just wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that you're right that it's something to be concerned about. And you could skew the list pretty easily against Hordes if you needed to. Um, you could put more Dire Avengers in the list inside the Wave Serpents because their shooting is great. You could do Guardians. You could. I The version I took to the RTT had a Guardian Bomb in it with the 20 Guardians and the two platforms that Deep Struck. Um, yeah, that's a great The reasoning behind that was that they want the same psychic card. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. I was just asking, like, what did you cut to get that unit in there? Uh, I don't know that I remember that. I think the second wave serpent was part of it. Yeah. The second wave serpent was part of it and something else. Uh, but the idea behind the guardian bomb is that once the dark reapers are safe, you don't need protect and conceal anymore and our fortune and the guardians like all those things. Uh, in practice, I didn't find it to be particularly valuable. I felt like it helped me win harder in, in games. I was already, already going to win and they weren't specific, particularly helpful in the close games. So I dropped them. But if you were playing into a horde meta, if you put that guardian bomb in, that's a lot of shooting and it's very hard to deal with. Um, you can also put more swooping hawks in. Uh, you know, the dark reapers do shoot uh, like 20 times at super high efficiency into hordes too. So you can work more on keeping the dark reapers alive. There are options that you can skew. I don't think the list is really in trouble against hordes. I just think that that if hordes were more pre prevalent, you'd make some minor changes to the list. Gotcha. And kind of to just talk about theoretical changes list a lot as the theme here, now that you have seen chapter approved at the time of this recording, even though this list was designed for it, do you think this list still functions and exists fine in chapter approved or was like Crimson Hunter and XR going up 15 points a big deal? Uh, so I, I think that Crimson Hunter is going up 15 points is completely warranted and fine. Uh, that's 45 points up. I have yet to make an Eldar list that doesn't have an equal 45-point decrease. Um, so, so uh, no, I'll tell my head. But does this list, does it not change because the points went up and down different places? Um, so the, the so let me, I, can, I mean, the, the, the Dark Reapers, there's 10 of them in this list. That's 30 points. And then the, um, the Warlock on foot goes down 10. That's 40 points. And then the 45. So it, this would be up for, this list would be exact. It'd be up 45, down 45 exactly. What was the so last five? Was, Just curious. Uh, the Warlock Skyrunner. Warlock oh, okay. Skyrunners are down five, and Warlocks on foot are down ten. So it literally wouldn't change. Would not change. And I think it's great. Um, I think that if you want to play an Eldar list that plays really well against Marines, um, this is a good list. I'm moving away from it, but that's something that I think Nick wants me to talk about. Uh, I'm making changes to it. I, uh, going forward, don't want to keep the Dark Reapers alive. I want to play a list that doesn't that doesn't either doesn't care if they die, or um, or doesn't have them. 
Uh, simply put, I, I, I want to take Eldar in a direction where you don't care about the indirect fire because then there's a bunch of inefficient shooting that you don't have to kill quickly and you can just focus on the anti-tank. And Eldar has a lot of very efficient, crazy good vehicles and the list of what good vehicles Eldar has just went up because a bunch of vehicles that were already kind of good with Chet with Psychic Awakening had points reductions. So yeah. Could you give us uh, your thoughts on like just a couple of what those vehicles are and what? Yeah, because they're weird and they're surprising things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I have played uh, just to put some context here. I've played about thirty, thirty-five games of Eldar post Psychic Awakening. I've played seven different lists. Um, I am deep in the pushing to see what I can do, Um, and my LVO list won't look anything like this list. But this list is not bad, and I could totally take this list LVO, and I'm sure I would do well. So. That's I know that's weird. Um, a few of the vehicles that are great now. Wraith Lords are amazing. Uh, Wraith Lords, before their five-point points reduction they just got given, were already good because... Um, now, mind you, they're good in a list like this where people have to shoot the planes or the Night Spinners. If you do Night Spinners, planes, and Wraith Lords, the Wraith Lords, in my experience, the Wraith Lords are like the last thing to die. And meanwhile, you can give them double star cannons. You can give them double missile launchers, which is incredible because it's 48-inch range which is so big in the meta right now, it's crazy. Like so much stuff is deadly at 36, at 48 feels really good. They're shooting twice. They have reroll ones from the Autark. They reroll one of those from crafters, from expert crafters. They're super efficient shooting. And then they give you something that Eldar struggles hard with, which is they give you really good close combat. So when somebody actually does come in and the snare captain grabs something, grabs your storm guardians and says, you guys can't leave. You say, okay, well, I'm going to jinx your dude. I'm going to smite him. If he's still alive, I'm going to punch him with the Wraith Lords. So um, the Wraith Lords do four attacks, hitting on three, strength seven, minus three AP, three damage flat in combat. With Crafters, again, Crafters is amazing. So if you have access to Crafters in your army, you need to try it. But Crafters makes them so efficient. Um, yesterday, I had three Wraith Lords get tied up by 20... Um, uh, what are they called? Um, Nick possessed with yeah. rebuffs. At the end of at the end of that combat, one wraith lord was dead, and all of the possessed were dead. So, like now, psychic powers helped that significantly, but but just Eldar needed close combat. So I think wraith lords have a lot of value. Um, I played them a bunch with the avatar, which is amusing and probably not good. Uh, and then I also like falcons now. Oh, so wraith lords are like. 110 points, 115 points, 115 points with double missile launcher, just to give you context. And uh, they're, they're also toughness eight, right? Which is they're toughness eight, and there's a strong argument for putting always in cover on them because they're shooting people at 48 inches, and if you get close enough to have the cover not matter, then they're going to punch you. So there's a strong argument to give them the always in cover trait. Yeah, um, I also like falcons. Um, a Falcon gets a missile launcher and a pulse laser and is even cheaper than the Wraith Lord. So that's pretty cool. Um, uh, this is all after chapter approved points, I assume. Yeah, it is. Um, Warwalkers are comically cheap. I tried to convince Nick that they go on my next list and he laughed at me, but they are really cheap. Um, a Warwalker with double missile launcher is something comical, like 65 points, uh, 70, 70 points. It also, next, right? So What's that? It outflanks, so you get at least one round of shooting with it. I know, and it's it outflanks, and it's not it's not the most fragile thing ever. It is it's T five with six wounds and a five up invul. It's basically like killing a venom, which some people find very hard to kill. Right, so 
Um, I think Warwalkers are kind of neat. Um, and then Vibro Cannons uh, are amazing <laughs> and have and have gone down in points. So for uh, everyone go ahead, Nick. ever on the planet, do you want to explain what a Vibro Cannon does? I will try, but it's one of the <laughs> hardest things to explain. So a Vibro Cannon is one of the weapons platforms that Eldar can take. Usually you see those as, are they called Shadow Weavers, Nick? The indirect fire gun? I think, yeah. Normally that's what you see. Um, it, uh, but instead, this is a 48-inch gun that shoots D3 times, strength 7, minus 1 AP, 2 damage. Okay? You're like, okay, that's not that exciting. Every second Vibro Cannon, it, so the second Vibro Every Cannon that targets a, the, the same target gets an additional AP and additional plus 1 to wound. So now it's strength 7, plus 1 to wound. Then the next one puts it up again, and it maxes out at minus 3 AP, plus 3 to wound. Plus 2 to wound? I think it maxes out a plus two to win. Third one is the most powerful. They don't get more powerful than the third shot. Right. Yeah, exactly. So but they're, they're, I'm they sorry, just, just to clarify, everyone, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, all fires at that improved profile if they're shooting the same thing, like a knight, for example. Yes. yes. Okay. So let's just kind of give an example. Like, let's say you're shooting a knight. The first one, D3 shots, hit on threes, most likely. Yes. Uh, Rerolling ones and crafters. Yeah, yeah. So you have the one reroll. <laughs> um, then. You're wounding on fives because it's your first one shooting, so that's not great. But you get one reroll for crafters. Uh, and then D3 damage is D6 damage. It's it's two damage. Two damage, five. Okay, sorry. And then your next one, your second one firing, will do the same thing. Strength seven still, but plus one to wound. So against that toughness eight profile, it's fours. Um, and then again, nothing else really changes. And then your the AP gets better. Right. But against the knight here, it's probably going to be taking an invul either way. But against something like a two-up save Dreadnought, the AP does become relevant. And then the third one gets plus two to one. The third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth will all get plus – it'll stop there. It'll be plus two to wound an additional two AP for AP three total. Right. So I have shot them at knights twice, and both times the knight died. So they have – my nine Vibro Cannons have one shot a knight two different times, and they rotated in both cases. So – I don't know if that's math. I've not done the math. That may not be math, but a two damage a hit, you basically it's, also, it's hard to do math because the master artisans or whatever you call it yeah. is it, it complicates the math quite a bit. But what's I imagine a, it's not far off average, especially if it happened twice. Yeah, what's happened what's happened important to understand here is that they become nine separate guns when they're deployed. So each of them has has um artisan has crafters. So every D three shots has one reroll to hit and one reroll to wound. And I always put them near the autark. And give them reroll the ones. So how much are these? Days? They are thirty-five points. So very similar to the smash gun for orcs. Yes, they were forty points. They went down five. Um, so you can take nine now. So here's why I said maybe you don't take the dark reapers because the dark reapers plus the the psychic powers to protect them um, is the same as nine vibro cannons. So those lists function completely differently, but if you're really, if you're a player who is more comfortable with gun line than with the fin the finesse and then heavy CP investment of the dark reapers, uh, you can put nine vibro cannons in your list and you can just shoot people and you'll win a whole bunch of games. And if you go first against Marine vehicle lists, you'll wreck them, which is feels, I'm sure would feel really great to a lot of people right now. So that's some of the stuff that went down um, on the, on the gun line. Um, well, and then, I'm and you didn't really good. I was going to say you didn't even mention fire prisms went down 15 points. That's because I hate fire prisms. <laughs> well, why? maybe so, but I think they become pretty compelling at a 15 point discount. I mean, I don't so even know what they were. If you do their offensive output, if you math them. Okay. So 
I'm a math nerd. I work at a company that does analytics for a living. So one of the things I struggle with that Nick helps me with is I, um, my list for gun lines are very math heavy. And Nick usually helps me if I don't have enough. I'm a Nick co coaching client, which if you haven't done, you should do. There's your plug, Nick. Yay, thanks. Uh, I've been in, I'm like, I'm, I'm client number one or number two. So I've been doing yeah. it a while. Uh, so one of the things that Nick offers. What's that? He's actually been doing GTs for over a year, but that's what happens when you become a client. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Um, I uh, I did win a major with Tyranids. That was probably the most the thing you most significantly helped with. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, so the uh, uh, I we we talked about how great Nick is, and now I'm, I've lost track of what I was saying. I think that's a fine subject, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, oh, mathematics and so fire presence. So my very first major that I won was at the beginning of eighth edition, and I won with a guard gum line. And I thought I was out playing people, and I wasn't. So as soon as uh, Elder the Elder Codex came out, I started losing really hard. And when I met Nick, he said, "Well, that's because you're just trying to math people, which guard can't do anymore because of Eldar. This is pre pre nerf Eldar. This and, is like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago now." Um, and Nick has been very helpful in helping me get more and more jank and finesse into my list. That's what the Dark Reaper states. So you need to be aware that if you put the Vibro Cannons in, you're very susceptible to being charged now. You have to care about line of sight. You've got, like, there's a lot to that change that is making you more aggressive. It also means you're going to wreck people on turn one a lot more often than I, than my, this list does. So that's the, that's the trade-off. Um, Fire Prisms, if you compare their math to everything else are not that efficient. They're just not. So um, the real problem with fire prisms is the way that their stratagem works. So their stratagem says that you target with the first one and then it doesn't shoot. And then you shoot with the other two guns that don't need line of sight, the other two fire prism cannons, and they get to reroll hits and wounds. Okay, rerolling hits does not matter to me at all because with crafters and reroll ones, that's just not value anymore. It doesn't reroll all hits. If it rerolled all hits, I'd be really interested because of my penalties to shoot. Um, then rerolling wounds, well, if it's something really important for you to kill, you have the thing called Doom, which is the best psychic power in the game. So Doom, Doom might be out there. Even if you don't have Doom with crafters, they can reroll one of them, okay? So now you shot the first one and you didn't kill the thing. Now the second one, you're in a weird situation. Because what most people want to do is they want to fire and fade the third one that poked out to sea. They want to fire and fade it back so that all three of them are hidden. The problem with that is that if you kill the target you're shooting on the second one, the third one now does not get to shoot. And it just sits out in the open. Um, fire prisms are not durable enough to sit out in the open. Now, you could put it with three Crimson Hunters and use the same thing I've been saying where people have to shoot the Crimson Hunters first. I just think that if you're going to do that, uh, there's better vehicles. Double missile launcher wave serpents are incredible and way more durable than a fire prism. Uh, I prefer wraith lords over fi over um, fire prisms because they're way cheaper. Falcons are better than fire prisms. Uh, I just think that even with their points reduction, you can just get better efficiency in other places. Now, I'll say that ever lots of other people think they're great, and I haven't actually taken them to tournament. I've only played them in test games where they got wrecked. So. I've had very similar experiences with fire prisms where they always just disappoint me nonstop. But at the same time, I've seen really good players run fire prisms successfully. So it may just be a very hit and miss kind of unit that has to do with style or something. Well, there's a weird thing about them, Nick, where the lowest profile, other, other tanks do better. And the top profile, other tanks do better. But nobody knows the middle profile better. 
So the middle profile is, is I think my favorite part about them, but I also do like that the lowest one at least can be an anti-horde option when you need it. So it is flexible in that rule. Right. For sure. So that's how I feel about fire prisms. Uh, there's a lot of other things that went down that make me excited to maybe move away from Eldar gunline, like shining spears going down, warlock conclave going down. Um, every caster who is not a farseer going down, uh, every aspect warrior pretty much went down. <laughs> so there's a lot of other stuff to play with now that isn't just gunline. So just to I mean, finish chapter approved thoughts. Chapter approved was Eldar Christmas. I mean, we just need to rebrand it because it pretty much was. Wasn't Gene Steeler called Christmas? Let me tell you that. Or Karen nope. and Christmas. Uh, it was not either of those things. I think that um, Eldar got some good love, um, but I think they did it in the right way. It's not, they didn't just buff the things that everybody takes. So the things that every Eldar player uses are Wave Serpents, Rangers, Farseers, Guardians. Um, that's stuff that everybody uses. The, well, there's still a lot of flyers being armies, and they typically don't run any of those things besides the Farseer. Right, but those those went up. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, yeah, so like, those added what's left, yeah. Yeah, so if you take the Crimson Hunter Exarchs went up, Crimson Hunter Normal went up, Hemlock stayed the same, but Nick and I both agree. I know we're in agreement that it's too expensive to begin with. So all that went up. Razorwing Jet Fighters went up. Not that they're they're not Craft World Elder, which is what we're talking about, but they're in that list. So like the list that was dominating people all got more expensive. The, the stuff that regular Eldar players were using didn't go down, didn't change for the most part. And they took stuff that nobody was playing with anymore and lowered it. Dark Reapers weren't on the table very often. Uh, they went down. Shining Spears weren't being used very often. They went down. The only thing that is a really strange change to me is the Warlocks and Warlock uh, Skyrunners going down. Because they were in all types of lists. But a Warlock is a two-wound character in a, in a game that Eliminators exist in. So... Maybe he didn't deserve to be 55 points anymore. That's kind of what I'm saying. I always felt like he was sort of just looking at him, uh, looking at a warlock. Was he, he was sort of overpriced. He just felt for two wounds. Just paying for the psychic power. Well, he went up too, didn't he? Wasn't he cheaper? And, and he was 35 from the codex. Started. Oh, man. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's, that is way better than the 45 that he is now. Right. <laughs> 35 35-point 35 warlocks literally... Make me excited. That would be, yeah. I believe it was 35. Uh, I think that with the Skyrunner going down, the Warlock Skyrunner going down 5, and the Warlock on foot going down 10, I think the Skyrunners are, are the way you do it. Um, sniping, I'm not, I don't, I'm not afraid of sniping lists, but an Eliminator just killing a Warlock on the first turn feels bad. So. Yeah, uh, it's not so much that a Sniper-heavy list is particularly good. It's that taking a whole bunch of 2 one characters makes any amount of Snipers horrifying, like a, like a unit of Eliminators or whatever. Exactly. Um, also, the movement. Jinx is only 18 inches, so the movement of a Skyrunner is a big deal. And I was shocked at how much I use the Shurikens on my casters at the tournament. Like, just all the time. Like, they have four shots, and they also have expert crafters. Right? They're hitting on... The first year is hitting on twos with crafters. That's four hits with Shuriken, right? That's so I use them. Absolutely, I use them. Cool. Well, let's talk about uh, your your primary overall strategy and ITC missions. So, like, what are what are you trying to accomplish? What secondaries are you normally going for? Like, what's the basic game plan with the list? So, I actually find ITC secondaries to be like that they've gotten in kind of a bad spot. I know that IT that Frontline wants to uh, uh, you know re revamp them again. Uh, basically, for the most part, they're what do I what can I kill, and then okay, I have to do something else. So the first thing I look at is what are the points I can get from killing things. Um, 
Now, if they, if in order to get all the points, I have to table my opponent, that's not okay. So I have to make some decisions there, but I like, um, I like, you know, big game. I like Reaper. I like Butcher's Bell. I like, you know, I, for this list in particular, I like killing things. Um, if they have Thunderfire cannons, I know I'm going to kill them. So that's a Butcher's Bell right there on the first turn for killing two Thunderfire cannons. Um, so that's all fine. I don't like Recon. Um, in general, in the game, I don't like Recon. And this list you'd think would Recon great because of the planes and the Swooping Hawks coming in from Deep Strike and the Wave Serpents. But keep in mind that the planes are all going to die. Well, either I'm going to wreck my opponent and destroy them, or the planes are going to die early and I'm going to have a closer game. If the planes don't die early, the game there's no game. They're so efficient at shooting now with the buffs that they got that it's just like they're, you can't leave them alive. They do way too much damage. So um, I don't like recon because it forces me to hang stuff out uh, to get killed. So like a lot of armies are like Marines in particular. Marines are crazy deadly if you're near them. Uh, they have so much extra shooting. The characters will shoot you. They'll charge you. They'll throw grenades at you. There's like there's all this stuff the Marines do if you get close to them. I'd rather not have to do that. Um, and there's also lots of games where the planes are going to do the hokey pokey in front of me, where basically it's the three planes all shift into each other's spots to screen permanently against Deep Strike. Um, and then I'm never going to get recon. So I don't like recon. Um, I typically take two that are about killing. And then the third one that I take is almost always engineers. Cause again, I'm going to kill their indirect fire. I make the storm guardians engineers, start them on the board and then deep strike the sleeping hawks, make them engineers. Um, or in some games, I spent the command point. I put one CP out to deep strike the storm guardians. Um, and the idea there is because of the way my list is designed, if the storm guardians aren't on the table, there is no infantry of any kind for you to shoot on the first turn. None. It's all vehicles and characters. That's all I have. And what that did against um, Tau and against Guard is their indirect fire got no kills on the first turn. And then they got no kills because I'm really far away and I'm playing vehicles. So that's also something that I did. And then they just come in and they're like, okay, well, we're engineers and the Dark Reapers are out. So it's very unlikely that we're going to get shot over the Dark Reapers. Any, uh, any consideration to Wave Serpent Engineers? I love that. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done it much uh, because... Um, that's kind of a win harder button for me because either if you can't kill my vehicles, I've won anyways, is kind of the way the, the list plays. There's eight vehicles. It's a lot. And if you can't kill them, the list is going to obliterate you. Um, I have, I have had games, I've had tournament games where people are tabled at the top of three. I imagine that's not so much a win harder though. I mean, you phrased it that way. So it's interesting to me, but like you said, the wave serpents are the lowest priority thing. So it's not that necessarily they can't kill your vehicles. Maybe they just kill the other six first because that's what they're going to do. So by making the wave serpents the engineers, now you're splitting priority because I want to rob you of your points, but I don't want to shoot a wave serpent. And also, if I kill you in the order that I want to kill you, you've probably just racked up four points, even if I am capable of killing your vehicles. So I thought that would be the case, Nick, but the, both Iron Hands players had no problem killing the wave serpents incredibly early. So... Um, against the harder Iron Hands matchup, I lost all vehicles by turn, end of turn three. So um, the other side of this is the Wave Serpents have jobs in my list. Uh, they they have board control. They hold objectives. They harass things. They they do stuff. The Storm Guardians don't do stuff. The Swooping Hawks do stuff, but oh, yeah. 
obviously you want to make the least useful unit the engineer. I'm assuming like a Thunderfire or something is going to pick it up. But at the same time, I guess your army is designed to kill the Thunderfires ASAP to keep your Reapers alive. So byproduct is your Swarm Guardians also just live. Right. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about um, that I'll go into if you guys would like me to is that Night Spinners kill Thunderfires really well and the math says that they don't. Yeah, let's save that a lot more for the Marine in part two. Okay, sure. Marines and stuff. So, sure. how you handle Marines specifically? Let's keep it there. Okay. Um, but yeah, all right. your secondary choices make sense and all that. So, um, just to make sure yeah. I understand, your your overall ITC strategy so sounds like you castle up, you make your opponent cross the table to you, you blow them away, and then at the end of the game, you move out, take objectives, whatever, um, as as you see fit. Uh, either having tabled your opponent or crippled their ability to hurt you. Right. Uh, I think that's. That's kind of true. Um, there's a bunch of games where the Wave Serpents and the Planes and the Swooping Hawks and the Dire Avengers all go at my opponent. Uh, so there is there are games where I go play on the table with them. Um, so you're actually aggressive with your firepower elements, you're saying? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, it depends on... I have a pretty good um, gut for the damage that an army can do to me. Uh, so I, I, I tend to be okay at, at deciding if that's true or not. Um I don't hide forever, um, but there against some armies, I absolutely will hide for a long time. Um, I played, uh, I played a lot of, I played a ton last year of Double Spear Yanari, and with Double Spear Yanari, you basically have to castle, and the spears can only go out if they can kill something and then hide or hug something that's not going to hurt them. So it's like really cagey, and you don't hold the board ever. So that's kind of what this feels like. Like if a wave serpent gets gets me hold more on turn two, I feel like I won the lottery. Because I'm not going to get hold more like ever early in the game. I'm going to bring in people from Deep Strike and dump people out of the Wave Serpent and like grab objectives later in the game. But in general, what John said is correct, where I'm going to castle up and I'm going to hit you hard and I'm going to get kill more and I'm going to do better on secondaries than you. Um, because the other part of this list is what do you pick secondaries against it? You can take big game and mark for death. And almost everybody does. And you have to decide for Mark for Death that you want to try to kill the Reapers. Either you kill all eight vehicles or you kill seven vehicles of the Reapers to get Mark for Death and Big Game maxed. The thing about that is, in most matchups, if you kill all of eight of my if you kill seven of my vehicles and the Dark Reapers, I've lost anyways. So I got like I can't kill more. I'm not going to hold. Like the game is going to spiral out of control for me. So um, that was a weird thing uh, where people would take that and I would never give up. In most matchups, I wouldn't give up eight uh, eight points on big game and mark for death. Yeah, it's so, almost like playing a weird denialist. Like obviously, you give up big game hunter, but you're not really giving up anything else. Like you're you're not. Few armies can achieve old school against you. Right. And what happens when you take headhunter against Eldar, Nick? It, again, it's just win more. You only get it if you table it. Right, because Eldar characters are very not interested in being near you. So, uh, yeah, so it's very good at not giving up secondaries. One of the things I noticed is that people never max secondaries against me, even in super close games. So I almost lost to the second, to an Iron Hens player and I almost lost to an Ekron player. And in both games, they did not max secondaries. Um, they got like, like eight or nine and I got 12. That's a big deal, right? That's a, that's a big part of the ITC. So I'm going to kill more early. I'm going to do a better job on secondaries than you. And I'm going to bonus if I can. Because uh, I love bonusing, um, but most importantly, uh, I'm going to start trying. I'm going to hold more whenever I absolutely can, 
And one of the funny things about ITC is if you go first with this list, you hit them so hard that a lot of armies can't recover. But if you go second, you can hold more more often. Exactly. That's the that's the beauty of playing a shooting-based army in ITC. You go first, you probably just shoot super hard and table them eventually. Right. And you go second, okay, maybe your alpha strike isn't so potent. Maybe you're not actually winning the tabling them more, like you're losing your army faster than they are. But you now have a huge misadvantage because you've gone second. So right. I have no problem having Dark Reapers shoot people off objectives instead of killing vehicles. I got no issues with that, right? Like, like hold more is a victory point. Victory points is how you win. I'm, I'm, uh, one thing that I'm very proud of is that I play the mission great now. Whereas when Nick met me, I was terrible at playing the mission, but very interested in tabling my opponent. I would like to think that Nick had something to do with that, but you know. <laughs> well, I feel like you get enough compliments, so I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> Nick is also my sensei, and if you want to see how much better I've gotten, you should just watch my game that I played at uh, Renegade. And I didn't play that game particularly well. I went back and rewatched it, but if you, if like six months ago, if I had played that game, it would have been a disaster. Like I would have just got tabled. So yeah, I I found that at this tournament in particular, um, there were two different games where I took a moment, looked at the score, and plotted out three, two or three turns of the game, and then played the mission and won by a couple points rather than. Which never, I never was capable of that before. I didn't see the game state enough. Like it's like the matrix, right? You see all the green numbers. You have to see like what that means. Uh, when I met Nick for the first time uh, a couple of years ago now, I was maybe it's a year and a half ago. I was blown away by how Nick could predict to a couple victory points what would happen several turns out. Uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of experience that feeds into that, and that makes going second really awesome, even if you have a gun line. Because you can figure out that, oh, if I hold more on one and two, it's going to win me the game when your opponent doesn't know that. Right? Yeah, and these are, these are advanced tactics and strategies, guys. So don't if you're not seeing the Matrix, as Colin put it, it's okay. Just uh, that's something that it, it is real. You can get there. Like Just uh, get your reps. And a lot of it is experience, as he said. Um, just try to be analytical as much as you can, and you'll get there. Yeah, people don't practice. Like people, like you have, like it's it's all about practice. So um, that's pretty much it for what I was interested in this episode. Um, there's a lot to cover in round two when we get into your specific strategies uh, for different matchups. Eldar is a very interesting army in that they change their strategies or that they can on the dime because they're so mobile uh, and so flexible. So when you get into specific matchups, which we will in the next episode, part two, uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Is there anything else, John, you wanted to ask Colin for this one? I think, uh, Colin, where can people find you as if they don't know? But just in case the one listener out there that doesn't know where they can find you, where can they find more Colin? I appreciate that. So, um, and I'm actually going to talk for a minute because I'm going to pitch Charity Hammer as well. Yeah, please. Um, so my name's Colin Sherman. There are a number of Collins in the ITC right now. Um, I am the I'm not as successful as McDade. Uh, uh, I I host I co-host the Best in Faction podcast, um, which uh, Nick has been on a number of times. I know that John enjoys. Uh, we do, we are three friends who travel to tournaments. We play in tournaments a lot. I play in a GT or a major every month at least. Uh, we talk about tournaments. We have people on. We're going to be doing in the next week a chapter approved episode with Nick where we'll talk about every single faction and what we think are the winners and the losers. So um, that'll be a big thing. You can find that at facebook.com slash um, biffpod, B-I-F-P-O-D. 
I stream once or twice a week, every Wednesday night, except not this week, every Wednesday night, um, I stream and then usually one game on the weekend. Um, you can find that at twitch.tv slash BIFPOD. Um, the stream games are very much about education. It's, um, it's very much my opponent and I talking through all of our decision making. Um, so that's something that I do. And then the thing that I'm the most proud of and I'm the most well known for at this point, I think is Charity Hammer. Uh, Charity Hammer is a charity um, event in the first weekend of January. Uh, to raise money for Child's Play, which is a charity that uh, um, basically provides toys and video games and things to kids at children's hospitals. Um, if you've never had a kid go to a hospital, it's not a lot of fun for that kid. It's worse than it is for an adult by a lot. So having toys and stuff there to distract them is a really big deal. Um, last year, we raised just under $7,000, and we're very proud of that. We're going to try to double that number this year. Um, what the event itself is, is something you all can benefit from. So what I do is I grab a bunch of my of the people I know that are the best ITC players out there, and I, we fly them out here to Seattle for a weekend, which we discovered this year is uh, sometimes expensive. Sorry, Nick. Uh, we fly them all out here, and we do um, two days of nonstop streaming all through the night, all through the day. There's two tables. This year, there's actually going to be a third table that's um, active during primetime hours. So we'll have three streams at times, two streams at other times. Um, it'll be like 120 hours of content altogether, 130 hours, something like that. And it uh, it is competitive play. Chapter approved will be well, we'll all have it. Um, this is LVO prep for a lot of these guys. So you're going to see the best list in the game played by the best people in the game. Uh, Nick is coming for the second year. Um, also from the top 10 in the ITC, we have Jim Vessel, uh, Richard Siegler, Brian Pollan, uh, John Lennon, uh, uh, Mark Perry, I believe, top 10. Yeah, Mark Perry. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of other people that are in the top 100, including myself, is going to play. I'm like, I don't know if they'll update all my tournaments. I'm like 70-something. Uh, so I count. Uh, and then we also have a lot of kind of the more, um, some of the more active podcasters. So Darren, who runs Canhammer TV, is going to be there. Uh, Peter the Falcon will be there, um, who I think everybody probably knows. Uh, we'll also have Michael Tempe from uh, Headlords of Terra, um, Danny from Mob Rules. So we, all of the a lot of the podcast. Oh, Adam, all the way from Australia. Adam yeah, from the Down Under Network. Under. Who, by the way, everyone wants to play. I said, who do you guys want to play? Everybody wants to play Adam. So, I forgot he was coming. Can I change my answer? <laughs> I think you're already playing him, actually. <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, you're going to find this. You can find more information about this on our Facebook um, page, facebook.com slash BIFPOD. Uh, in the next week, I'll be updating charityhammer.com with all this information. So if you don't Facebook, which I really can't blame you if you don't, uh, then you can find it there. Uh, but Charity Hammer donation drive will start in a week. Um, you donate money. Um, and then every certain amount of money you donate gets your raffle ticket. We're raffling off a lot of stuff this year. Um, and then there's also the ability to, to bid money to pick what ridiculous list you want Nick to play on stream. Uh, last year, Nick played, you played all witch, dark, Mono, which dark Eldar, which cult dark Eldar. And you wrecked me with it, which was very embarrassing. Uh, yes. and yeah, then like, this is before they had good units. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, that, so that's what's going on. That's where you guys can find me. Um, if you want to know more about my list, please feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. It's the easiest place to find me. I'm happy to talk Eldar. Um, I'm I'm giddy with all the lists I'm building. I'm having the most fun I've had in the game. Awesome. So, if you 
enjoy that stuff, check Colin out, Best in Faction, Charity Hammer, all that stuff. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, check out the other ones Frontline Gaming Network offers on um, like 40K Stat Center and Chapter Tactics and Signals to the Frontline. And if you enjoyed this podcast and you just want to hear more of us, go become one of our patrons, AOW40K.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Colin. It was an excellent discussion, and I look forward to talking to you in the second episode. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time. 